Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. With over 700 military veteran journalists worldwide, it's your Rethinking Heroes Flash Briefing. Stories from the front. Carrie Harrison here with your Rethinking Heroes Flash Briefing. An update on national defense news and stories affecting service members, veterans, and the rest of us. I was just thinking about Daniel Ellsberg. It's a tough one, a giant loss for most of us. We'll get to him in just a moment. A naval base in Gulfport, Mississippi, has taken measures to protect itself from the gun violence that is spilling onto its borders. The Naval Construction Battalion Center in Gulfport built a wall of shipping containers to keep stray bullets off the base. NBC News reported the boxes were put into place after a shootout at a subsidized housing complex across the street hit and damaged five homes on the base. In addition to the barricade, the Navy has increased patrols along the perimeter. The base told NBC the barriers met as a temporary solution, and they've received assurances from the city of Gulfport that officials are addressing the escalating gun violence. However, officials say they haven't ruled out something more permanent. About 72,000 people live in Gulfport, where they've been uh, about 10 homicides a year since 2019, and that's up from about two to three a year a decade prior. Unfortunately, Gulfport isn't alone in its challenges with guns. According to the CDC, more Americans died in 2021 from gun injuries than any other year on record. This also isn't the first time that a military base has used shipping containers as protection. When Fort Cavazos in Texas, then called Fort Hood, held the trial of the officer who conducted a mass shooting on the base in 2009, the base stacked shipping containers in long lines surrounding that courthouse. Now to a story about a tricycle stolen from the Coast Guard, for real, and then used to trespass at a Florida airport. For more on that, we go to Rethinking Heroes, Rose Thayer. Thank you, Carrie. From Austin, Texas, this is Rose Thayer reporting for Rethinking Heroes. A woman in Florida was arrested after she hopped a fence at the St. Petersburg Airport and then rode a tricycle onto the taxiway. It turns out the tricycle was stolen from the nearby Coast Guard station in Clearwater. This is something I was unaware of, but uh, the Coast Guard uses tricycles as well as golf carts and bobcats to transport tools and parts around the station. The Tampa Bay Times reports the woman climbed the fence to the Coast Guard station stole the tricycle, and then rode it to a ramp area behind the terminal uh, behind Terminal A at the St. Pete Airport. Her joyride was busted when airport security noticed her on security camera footage cruising along the restricted area on the tricycle. She was arrested while trying to board a commercial flight to Argentina and now faces a felony charge for the trespassing and grand theft for the tricycle. Now back to you, Carrie, to discuss the passing of a veteran who leaked the Pentagon Papers in 1971 and helped lead to the resignation of President Richard Nixon. Thank you, Rose. Daniel Ellsberg was a history-making whistleblower known for his daring leak of documents to reveal the government's internal doubt about the Vietnam War and the campaign to deceive the public about those misgivings. His recent passing at 92 from pancreatic cancer is a loss to accountability. Ellsberg graduated from Harvard, served in the Marine Corps before consulting the government on the Vietnam War, and over time, he noticed inconsistencies and outright lies connected to the U.S. involvement in Vietnam. That led him to leak 7,000 pages of Pentagon documents to the media that exposed the military's so-called review of its own involvement in the region. As punishment, President Richard M. Nixon went after Ellsberg directly, personally, which led to Watergate, which led to Nixon's later resignation. 
We'll have some special Daniel Ellsberg audio later here on Rethinking Heroes. Back to military reporter Rose Thayer to discuss the impact that increased hateful rhetoric has had on military families. Yeah, Carrie, this news is heartbreaking to learn about. The Air Force told Defense One News that it has moved service members and their families 15 times since 2021 to help them escape discrimination because of their race or sexual orientation. In 2021, the Air Force began tracking how often members of the Air and Space Force requested to move duty stations because of racial or LGBTQ discrimination. In some cases, the move was requested because the service member's child was bullied in school. Requests to move because of a personal hardship have always been available to families, but because the Air Force only began tracking why troops asked to move about two years ago, officials couldn't say whether this increase, um, this is an increase to previous years. This comes as Republican-led states have introduced historic levels of anti-LGBTQ legislation. And even if these bills don't become law, just the introduction and discussion of them can make people feel unwelcome or empower others to discriminate. For Rethinking Heroes, I'm Rose Thayer. Back to you, Carrie. Thank you so much for that, Rose. And we would all do well to remember history. Alexander the Great, who conquered most of the known world, had a boyfriend. You didn't want him to not be on your side. The Spartans in ancient Greece, you didn't want them not to be on your side. And the Maori of New Zealand, you didn't want them not to be on your side as black people because they were the only ones ever historically to have kicked the British's ass as uh, colonial forces. So those two groups are some of the most powerful warriors who have ever lived. So make no mistake, you don't want them as your enemies. Special thanks to military reporter Rose Thayer for this Rethinking Heroes Flash Briefing. From Los Angeles and beyond, I'm Carrie Harrison. Don't forget to subscribe and like Rethinking Heroes wherever you get your podcasts and follow us across all social media and Substack simply by looking for Rethinking Heroes. Preventing truth decay. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com. Carrie Harrison here with an exciting radio gift benefit just for you. Rethinking Heroes has found one more way to help not only vets, but people like you. This is radio giving back for all the time you've spent with us. Rethinking Heroes has found an angel partner who's created a downloadable, fee-free discount pharmacy card to give you up to 90% off many of your meds. It's pegged to government-listed prices, so my $250 Lipitor is only $13. Unlike GoodRx, this bypasses the middleman. It's our Rethinking Heroes Capital Rx thank you card with no fees ever, no credit cards, no expiration dates, no cookies, no tracking. Perfect for the modern listener like you dealing with a busted medical system. So accept this thank you gift and download your fee-free cards now at RethinkingHeroes.com. RethinkingHeroes.com. That's RethinkingHeroes.com. By the way, if this isn't a good reason to love this radio station, show me a better one. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com. Coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to be talking to the only active duty Air Force pilot who was willing to stand up in front of Congress. This uh, in whistleblowing form 
talking about UAPs, formerly known as UFOs, and how real they are. We have some footage we're going to play, or you'll be able to hear it. You'll be able to see it later on video at RethinkingHeroes.com or on uh, any of our radio Facebook websites. You'll be able to see that video, too. It's the actual video shot by these pilots of these extraordinary objects flying greater than the speed of sound for multiple hours in the wind, not moving, things that our craft simply cannot do. We'll be talking to Ryan Graves in just a few moments. I want to take a moment here and uh, mention that uh, Rethinking Heroes here is going to be able to stream the live TV broadcast of World Peace Day on September 21st, unexpectedly. I was asked by UNESCO to MC the global event for the United Nations in Switzerland. It's going to be televised from countries all over the world, and it's going to feature speeches and music and hope for peace during these truly unusual times. Every generation has said, oh, these are unusual. These are unusual times. The entire planet is at war and nuclear power plants are being bombarded. Truly unusual times. So I'm going to keep you up to date. You can feel comfortable that the impact that Rethinking Heroes has had and how this show, your show, and how me as the host was invited as a global MC representing hundreds of nations around the world. That's because of you. So we're going to keep you in the loop on where and how you can watch and participate. Let's take a moment now to remember a hero for our modern times, a groundbreaking hero and father of what it means to be a brave whistleblower. With the Pentagon Papers leaker, Daniel Ellsberg passed from pancreatic cancer. This brave man, up to his death, quote, continued to speak out urgently to the media about nuclear dangers, especially the danger of nuclear war posed by the Ukraine war and Taiwan. That's what his family said. Daniel Ellsberg rarely appeared on TV, yet he changed U.S. history like few private citizens ever could or did. Back in 1971, Daniel Ellsberg, a Pentagon military analyst, released a comprehensive record of U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War known as the Pentagon Papers. And his disclosure ended the 20th century's longest U.S. war. A landmark Supreme Court press freedom decision would follow, and President Richard Nixon's response led directly to the scandals that ended Nixon's presidency. Ellsberg, a 40-year-old Marine Corps veteran with a Harvard doctorate, had worked for the Defense and State Departments and the think tank known as the Rand Corporation, which, by the way, stole my motto, preventing truth decay. They just call it truth decay. That's okay. I didn't trademark it. Stupid me. Lesson learned. He worked at the Rand Corporation before arriving at the Pentagon. Dan Ellsberg, a hawk. He was a hawk before going to Vietnam in 1965, later turning against the war and its justifications. Ellsberg had access to the Rand's 7,000-page classified documents and historical narrative. And over months, as we heard from his son recently here on Rethinking Heroes, they were able to photocopy one page per night. Daniel Ellsberg later showed several senators that material. He asked for hearings or at least to place the report in the congressional record. The senators refused, and Daniel Ellsberg suggested that the senators read the New York Times instead, because in 1971, he gave it all to the New York Times, the Washington Post, and 17 other newspapers. Displeased, the President of the United States himself None other than Richard Milhouse Nixon went directly after Daniel Ellsberg and charged him with 12 felony counts and a possible prison sentence of 115 years. This was the famous Watergate scandal in connection with the Nixon-directed burglary of the office of Dr. Ellsberg's psychiatrist 
in order to glean Daniel Ellsberg's personal secrets that only a psychiatrist would know and then use those secrets against Ellsberg. What followed were the convictions of several White House aides and figured in the impeachment proceedings against President Nixon. Here's a piece of audio you're never going to have heard before. It's Richard Nixon himself explaining, on tape of course, how he could have gotten away with a cover-up. Hello. I played this clip to Daniel Ellsberg several years ago when we were talking about the role of personal bravery and leadership in a world gone mad. Under the circumstances, I would have to say that a reasonable person could call that a cover-up. I didn't think of it as a cover-up. I didn't intend it to cover up. Let me say, if I intended to cover up, believe me, I'd have done it. You know how I could have done it? So easily? I could have done it immediately after the election, simply by giving clemency to everybody. And the whole thing would have gone away. I couldn't do that. No. Technically, I did not commit a crime, an impeachable offense. As far as the handling of this matter is concerned, it was so botched up. We're talking to Daniel Ellsberg. He's a lecturer, writer, activist, and author now of Secrets, a memoir of Vietnam and the Pentagon Papers. And uh, I didn't think of it as a cover-up. I, I could have done a cover-up if I wanted to do a cover-up. You know, actually, that's very interesting. He's right uh, in the sense that if he had taken the heat off uh, people like John Dean and others by giving clemency to everybody, uh, probably the thing would have kept covered up quite a bit. And that raises a question as to he doesn't really explain why he didn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't do that. Why? Because it would be illegal? After all, uh, that wasn't his worry. We are talking to Daniel Ellsberg. You write about uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, coming up with ways to best provoke an attack on U.S. forces by the North Vietnamese uh, if it proved to get a rise out of them. In other words, uh, you know, beat them with a stick until they do something back at you, and then you can really escalate a war. Congratulations on that background. It's exactly right. So uh, you have a good researcher. We do. We have Doria Biddle, our lipstick lesbian producatrix and elocution mistress and Quaker. Well, <laughs> nearly all of the things that he did against me at that time, which made him impeachable, are legal now under the Patriot Act uh, in order to silence whistleblowers or to silence dissent. For example, he used the CIA uh, against a, a domestic uh, citizen, myself, uh, they did a, a psychological profile on me. They provided disguises and other links and, they, and a number of their, uh, for people who were breaking into my former psychoanalyst's office to get information to blackmail me with. Now that break into the office would now be legal under the Patriot Act uh, in the context of terrorism and uh, the, uh, the fear of terrorism now. The illegal warrantless wiretaps on which I was overheard at that time, which figured in the ending of my trial, uh, would be legal now. The hiring of the CIA assets and the using uh, so-called assets, Cubans uh, who had worked in the Bay of Pigs and um, uh, now were used to neutralize Daniel Ellsberg to beat me up and so forth. That hiring by the White House and uh, by others in domestic operations 
would be legal now. So uh, that isn't to say they wouldn't still be doing illegal things uh, that go beyond even the Patriot Act, but their hand at uh, doing things that were previously been criminal against American citizens has now been, uh, they, these, these instruments have now been put in their hands. That's what I love about uh, looking back at German history, for instance, uh, when we read Rise and Fall of the Third Reich or uh, study any history, and we see how uh, the effective mechanism that Adolf Hitler used in the Nazi party was to change the laws so that really everything they did was legal. The most horrible, it's surreptitious. And to, to use then 9-11 as an excuse to go against a country that was not involved is like is, is, a, is a major deception and is uh, rather like using uh, Reichstag fire um, against to ban, for example, uh, most other parties. Daniel Ellsberg, remembering Richard Nixon and also foreshadowing recent presidencies and possibly, uh, well, let's just say quasi-legal uh, legal maneuvers now that the gloves are off. And it's really up to you and me to remain ever vigilant and rethink what heroism can look like for each of us individually going down the road. Carrie Harrison with you, and this is Rethinking Heroes. Coming up in just a moment, we're going to talk to the first U.S. Uh, military pilot ever to stand before Congress and demand information about what used to be called UFOs are now called UAPs. Listen, well, it's still legal. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com. Do you own an annuity, either fixed rate, indexed, or variable? Are you paying high fees and getting low returns? If so, Annuity General would like you to have this free book to learn the pitfalls and mistakes of buying an annuity. The Annuity Do's and Don'ts for Baby Boomers contains the little-known truths about annuities, like how to help reduce your fees and increase retirement income. And it's free. That's right, free. As a bonus, we'll also throw in a free annuity rate report just for calling. We researched over 1,000 annuities and summarized rates and benefits from financially strong insurers. You get annuity do's and don'ts for baby boomers and the annuity rate report, both absolutely free for calling Annuity General today. Hurry, supplies are limited. Call now. 800-726-2194. 800-726-2194. That's 800-726-2194. Rethinking Heroes. Welcome, comrades, to Moscow McDonald's. I'm Boris. And I'm Boris. Now that Glassnose has gone poo-poo, the big boss don't fool around. If you know Mickey G's fun meal, for just one month's wages, you get two fries. That's right, two stringy little fries. You also get shake. Right, KGB agents shake you, strip search you, and take away your cigarettes. Just be glad they don't kick you in McNuggets. <laughs> and for dessert, you get half-rolled toilet paper. Eat it, use it, your choice. Big fun meal at Mickey G's. Remember, no shoes, no shirt, no poles, no Lithuanians, no Latvians, no Estonians. Preventing truth decay. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com. All right, Carrie Harrison with you. You know, the tidal wave continues to grow over the military and government interest in what we used to call UFOs. They're now called UAP or Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena. Say that 10, 15 times quickly. What used to be the domain of the Air Force's famous Project Blue Book and endlessly passed off as weather balloons or 
drunken seagulls. We now have a new class of heroes, U.S. Air Force pilots tasked with keeping us safe. Thanks to technology, which is no longer easily dismissed during repeated UAP sightings, a group of pilots have created a nonprofit organization called Americans for Safe Aerospace, a military pilot-led nonprofit organization dedicated to aerospace safety and national security with a focus on unidentified anomalous phenomena. ASA was founded by Ryan Graves, a former Lieutenant U.S. Navy FA-18 pilot who was the first active duty pilot to come forward to Congress about UAP. Here's a recent clip from CNN in which Lieutenant Graves breaks down the reality of some of these sightings using official video belonging to the defense. That Chinese balloon that floated across the continental U.S. got a lot of attention, and somehow it eclipsed other weirder unidentified flying objects. Former Navy fighter pilot Brian Graves has a new article in Politico titled, We Have a Real UFO Problem and It's Not Balloons. It's not that we were just seeing them out there and somewhat identifying something in, in the distance. We're using a, a multitude of sensors on our aircraft uh, and also distributed across multiple aircraft and different platforms that are detecting these objects within a sensor network. And so when we then correlate uh, those radar tracks with our infrared camera systems and eventually moving closer to detect them with our eyeballs, uh, we, have, we have high confidence uh, in those track files and what we're experiencing. And what we're experiencing are things that we're really not sure what they are at the end of the day. Uh, they're performing a number of behaviors that we don't recognize, such as the ability to stay stationary in very high winds uh, with no lifting platforms, no surfaces, but also to maintain speeds of 0.6 to 0.8 Mach, which is upwards of 350 knots. Uh, and they can do that for, uh, for many hours on end. Uh, we, we don't have the ability to do that in our aircraft. We simply don't know who's operating these or what their intent are. With me now via Zoom is Ryan Graves, a former Navy FA-18, sorry, FA-18F pilot and Goshawk instructor pilot. He deployed aboard the USS Enterprise in support of Operation Enduring Freedom and again aboard the USS Theodore Roosevelt in support of Operation Inherent Resolve over Iraq and Syria. His elite training is so complicated that you need a manual to unscramble the litany of military acronyms like JTAC, FACA, RMC, LSO, NATOPS, ORM, and CRM. Suffice it to say, his high intelligence and honed skillcraft found him later leading advanced teams to win and execute DARPA contracts in air combat evolution, the Air Force's Skyborg program, these are real, and other classified projects. Getting the message out is another act of bravery, as Ryan Graves is currently host of the Merged podcast, a radically open-minded exploration of unidentified anomalous phenomena, UAP, through the lens of pilots, scientists, and innovators. Ryan Graves, I'd like to welcome you to Rethinking Heroes. Thank you so much for that great introduction. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, 
anybody who stands up in front of the government, and now NASA is talking about it, there have been official uh, broadcast giant conventions of the federal government now saying, well, yeah, uh, yeah, after 50 years of Project Blue Book and tinfoil hats and, you know, Project Disclosure and everyone else kind of doing it under, you have brought this into the foreground and you're looking to make government accountable. Tell us what that looks like. Well, I think what that looks like at the very uh, core of it is just being able to have a conversation and sharing information as it pertains to aviation safety. Uh, The military, uh, Department of Defense, and even more specifically, the Navy have started reporting these objects on such a regular basis that uh, the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, the office charged with investigating this at the Department of Defense, had declared that these are a serious aviation safety hazard. And so there are now reporting mechanisms being stood up within the military uh, so we can uh, perform an analysis and prevent having a midair. Uh, And all that's occurring, in a sense, in a vacuum, because we don't see any of that action happening on the commercial side, in the civil sector. Uh, Pilots are seeing these objects, uh, which is actually a cause for concern, because if you're seeing them, these objects are much closer than perhaps what the military aviators are seeing with their advanced sensors. So these commercial pilots are seeing objects at their flight altitudes, and they don't really have a mechanism to report it, and certainly not to have that information followed up on. Ryan Graves, I was just looking at, and we just heard audio from actual Defense Department tapes, so this is not Timmy in his basement with his iPhone making wild claims. This is the official stuff. And you, more than anyone, as an Air Force pilot, have seen these things, understand the technology and how the recording works. What's been your most remarkable and inexplicable encounter or experience during your time in the skies? Certainly. So uh, in the 2015 time frame, uh, when I was attached to the USS Theodore Roosevelt in the Navy, uh, we were preparing for our deployment to the Middle East. uh, And we were operating off the coast of Jacksonville, Florida. And at this time, we had been accustomed to seeing these objects uh, in our working areas off the coast of Virginia and North Carolina. Still know what they are, were. Uh, We weren't jumping to any conclusions necessarily. We just, you know, eventually just tried to stay away from them and avoid them so we could do our training. Uh, But this particular instance, when we were flying off the aircraft carrier, uh, we saw a new type of object that we hadn't seen before. Uh, It wasn't me personally, but it was air crew that were in my squadron. And that was uh, what's called now the gimbal video and i think you showed that here uh just before this on the intro and essentially looked like a a gimbal on the uh, infrared camera system that it was captured on we hadn't seen an object of that size or those performance characteristics uh, or any of the behaviors really Uh, and so that was that was very unusual for us we we came back uh, i personally heard that my my friends had caught something interesting on the camera Uh, and so we went in and we went to the debrief and watched these tapes try to get explained in some way, but everyone really had no idea what they were looking at. And that particular case um, has been uh, one that is still, you know, very much in the, the public sphere and still a mystery today. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com. We're talking to former Navy F-18F pilot, Lieutenant Ryan Graves Graves. of Americans for Safe Aerospace, a military pilot-led nonprofit organization dedicated to aerospace safety and national security with a focus on unidentified anomalous phenomena. 
formerly known as UFOs. Lieutenant Graves remains the first active duty pilot to come forward to Congress about UAP. Now, what makes this noteworthy is that many modern heroes step outside of routine order taking and use the advanced skills that they were taught in analytical prowess to think critically. Critical thinking, always an asset in any population, whether it uh, be these military vets, commercial pilots, aerospace workers, anyone impacted by UAP or scientists committed to investigating these mysteries. It always boils down to this particular brand of media that you and I are participating in right now. And all of us concerned citizens who believe in transparent disclosure from our government. And so pushing a government to open up is... I mean, let me just say, that's a pretty sexy feat. And many other nations wish you would come and visit even but for a week. Let me ask you, Ryan Graves, uh, about sort of the physical structure of these phenomena. You reported on one. We saw that in the Defense Department. It's escalating at, at an altitude in super high winds. We're talking greater or equal almost to the speed of sound at wild altitudes in high winds and just there for hours. Like, do we have stuff that'll do that? Not that I'm aware of and not that we've been able to figure out over the past nine years. Uh, these things are performing in ways that don't make sense according to our understanding of aerodynamics. They're essentially breaking the, those rules. Uh, and so we have to assume they're operating in some way that we're just simply not familiar with. That's, you know, potentially totally different. Uh, there are no wings. There's no you know, mass being propelled out the back of the vehicle or exhaust. Uh, there's no propellers spinning. Uh, there's no strong emissions uh, in the in the frequencies that we can detect in our jet. So really for us, we don't understand how they're working uh, and not only how they're working, but how they're able to work so well over such a very, very long period of time. So this could be what were called in the 1950s, you know, Russian bogeys. That was just basically anything. Uh, but these could be, you know, potentially Chinese. We're not talking weather balloons here. But this could be technology well beyond our own, in which case we're talking national security threats, not little green men, or it could be both. Do you have a sense of which, either, both? Well, for us at American for Safe Aerospace, we just have to stop at the uncertainty piece and recognize that as the problem right now. We recognize when we start to delve into what those uncertain objects are, those uncorrelated targets, we're going to find likely they're going to fall into one of two buckets, either national security issue from a foreign adversary that's penetrating our airspace or potentially something new that we haven't been able to uh, see before. And that's the reason for scientific curiosity and integrity. And so for us, it's, it's very simple bifurcation along those lines. Uh, we see the Department of Defense now standing up in order to uh, secure and look at those national security concerns, especially after uh, what happened with the Chinese balloon. Uh, but we're not necessarily seeing the uptick in, in science right now. One of the reasons is because a lot of the effort has been locked behind classification barriers right now. Uh, and the scientific community and academic community have been slow uh, to stand up on this topic due to the stigma involved. And that's one of the things that we're pushing for uh, at American Safe Aerospace, overall reduction of stigma on this topic through, uh, you know, through increased reporting, through uh, public communication on this topic, through the sharing of data so that the general public can understand uh, the reality of the situation. Former Air Force pilot Ryan Graves, what do you believe sets apart genuine UAP, formerly known as UFO sightings, from misidentified or explainable phenomena? How do you personally discern between them? I say this as a civilian because I have no idea. 
Yeah, there's certainly a, a number of ways. At the, at the core of it, there's really two ways. You can look to assess everything in the sky and identify anomalies, uh, and then retarget into those anomalies as it becomes clear. Uh, in another methodology, you could look for evidence of signals uh, that exist in, in current data or perhaps uh, active or passive sensor systems that already exist. Uh, and look to target those individual specific signals. Uh, and so those efforts are being done by various organizations to various degrees. Uh, and I, I would venture a guess that we'll, we'll likely have luck with one of those methods in the not too distant future. Ryan Graves, have you encountered any patterns or recurring behaviors in the behavior of UAPs that could provide insights into their origins or intentions? Well, that's part of what we need to do. We need to start to look at the data more broadly. Uh, we need to be able to zoom out, see uh, where where the data exists outside of just military training zones, uh, where our high-tech sensors are. Uh, one of the ways we're, we're gathering information about this is at safeaerospace.org. Uh, there you can sign up uh, to be a member of our organization. And we've been receiving a lot of reports from commercial pilots, uh, former military folks, and this data, you know, it might seem anecdotal, but en masse, when you gather a lot of that anecdotal together, you can you can start pulling out patterns and things of that nature. And so that's another way that we can start to pin down more information on this topic. Carrie Harris with you. This is Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com. We're talking to former Navy F-A-18F pilot, Lieutenant Ryan Graves of Americans for Safe Aerospace, investigating how to not only keep our aerospace safe from whatever, but what that whatever might be. You do have this project. Uh, it's, it's a podcast, among many other things, where you're not just rambling about this, but you're actually bringing on the top of the top people to very soberly analyze whether they're scientists, other pilots, commercial pilots, military pilots, eyewitnesses, people who can actually intellectually wrap their head around it and try to break this down into some kind of understanding. Uh, are you guys heading in any direction where you sort of feel that you, you can synthesize this yet? Absolutely. We, to your point, you know, we've just had so many pilots reach out. We wanted to give them, you know, essentially a safe, sane platform to share their experiences without fear of repercussions of their job by having a high level pilot to pilot conversation. And we're going to continue to develop those conversations and bring those out, share those, because we want to be able to use this conversation as a way to stitch together this community, bring some of these stories to light and also demonstrate some of the technology solutions and social solutions that we can put on this problem or to move it forward. You know, going back to the 1950s, and I believe it was under the Eisenhower administration, Project Blue Book, which was the very delicate dance around unidentified flying objects, neither admitting nor denying. Best assessment, you know, have a nice day, let's all move along. But clearly something was going on in there. Everyone is aware of... Uh, um, well, I was, where is it in New Mexico? Roswell. Everyone is aware of that. Uh, maybe we could just jump there for a second, only because everyone is aware of it. Do you have you gotten any insight into what that was all about? No, unfortunately, uh, I don't. Um, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with the lore and you know some of the history behind it, but uh, I think as we look at some of the legislation that's been passed in the last National Defense Authorization Act. It does, uh, it does account for a, a, a recollection all the way back to 1945. 
And so the intent here is if that information does exist, uh, that legislation supposedly should get to the bottom of it. So I'm eager to see how that plays out. When you, Ryan Graves, went up and addressed Congress about all of this and said, you know, you guys really have to take this seriously. And you talk about stigma because there is there is the old canard of the tinfoil hat and then people roll their eyes. You're dismissed immediately and never spoken to again. Uh, but you're speaking to the governmental body that legislates, that creates the laws and cuts the checks for the United States. And you're telling them to pay serious attention. I imagine that was an uphill battle with a certain amount of stigma. But you actually created a tipping point, And I'm fascinated how you did that. Like, we all want to know, how do you do that? <laughs> I don't know if I can take that much credit for it. You know, there was a lot of activity by a lot of people that seemed to be happening just due to the momentum of the topic itself and the importance of it. Um, and so, you know, for me, I, I was just seeing opportunities to add value to the conversation and I just continued to do so. Um, I think there was a, a bit of a vacuum just based off of the topic and that stigma. Uh, and so, you know, being able to enter vacuum, you know, allowed me to expand into it. So, uh, I think, you know, there was just uh, my willingness to be embarrassed or not to be afraid of the conversation gave me the, those opportunities to be able to help guide the conversation. Listen, well, it's still legal. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com. Everybody wants cheap airfare, but where do you find it? Well, you call low-cost airlines because they specialize in cheap flights, in discount hotel rooms, in cheap car rentals, and with the best price guarantee. They explore hundreds of airlines, thousands of routes, millions of itineraries and fares to keep it simple for you. So if you want the lowest prices on your airline tickets or other travel services, call now. 901-235-1795. 901-235-1795. That's the only way to get these rates. Experts are standing by 24-7 to get you the cheapest airfare and hotel rates available, often 75% off. So don't wait. Call now. 901-235-1795. 901-235-1795. Do you own an annuity, either fixed rate, indexed, or variable? Are you paying high fees and getting low returns? If so, Annuity General would like you to have this free book to learn the pitfalls and mistakes of buying an annuity. The Annuity Do's and Don'ts for Baby Boomers contains the little-known truths about annuities, like how to help reduce your fees and increase retirement income, and it's free. That's right, free. As a bonus, we'll also throw in a free annuity rate report just for calling. We researched over 1,000 annuities and summarized rates and benefits from financially strong insurers. You get annuity do's and don'ts for baby boomers and the annuity rate report, both absolutely free for calling Annuity General today. Hurry, supplies are limited. Call now. 800-726-2194. 800-726-2194. That's 800-726-2194. Preventing truth decay. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com. 
Harrison with you, live streaming and broadcasting on a variety of FMs up and down the west coast of California. I want to introduce to you Dr. Babak Dadvand, and he is considered the premier surgeon for transgender surgery. Now, everyone hears the word transgender. It's on every television set, every radio station, in every newspaper, but a lot of people don't get, well, I don't get it. I don't get it. So how do we tell somebody from Mars about We the Humans and how this thing works? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, and it's it's true. It is it is uh, something that that sometimes needs to be explained. And I think in the next you know several years, it's going to become more and more understood. And and the basic thing is, look, on on the surface, there's two genders, male, female, but. There's a whole spectrum in between, and that's what's really interesting and what's coming coming to the forefront. A lot of the patients who are coming to see me always knew, even at a very young age, that they just didn't feel right inside their body. That right. they, they felt that they were, you know, whether it was, you know, they were born a male, but always felt female or vice versa. And initially, when they're going through high school and through their teen years, they thought maybe it was a sexuality thing, but they come to realize that it's not. And gender identity doesn't have anything to do really with sexual identity. Um, and it's just what you... Slam the brakes. That's right. Are we saying that a straight man could wake up from birth and actually feel he's a woman? Yeah, and that's really the essence of it. It's what you innately feel your gender identification is, and it's it's not something that's learned. Yeah. It's not it's not nurture. It's nature. It's something that they have innately, and it's one of the most basic things that we as as a human race have within us. We know our gender, and so you can imagine when you feel like you're in the wrong body, yeah. and how that can play on you emotionally, psychologically. And, and physically when they start going through puberty. I'm going to jump in because I'm assuming you're heterosexual. Yes. I could tell because we had a big conversation about soccer earlier and um, <laughs> there's certain groups of people that tend to be bigger fans than others. That said, uh, for a lot of people who think, well, it's a choice. It's just a choice. You just wake up on Thursday and go, I think tomorrow I'm going to go out with Bruce. And we know if you're straight... Or if you're gay, let's say you're straight, whoever you are, whoever you are, right. as Dr. Dodd you wake up, you don't make a choice, I'm going to like girls, I'm going to like them today, I swear to God, I'm going to like you just don't think about it, because it's the natural pointing of the compass, the orientation, it is the hardwiring of the human being. Right. And you know when you have a private moment alone with no witnesses, especially in your teen years, or when you're online watching a channel that maybe you don't want your grandmother to know you're on, you know what you're watching for real, and you know what turns you on. And that's kind of the truth of it, isn't it? Right. And so when you talk about choice, why would somebody choose to go down a, a life that's going to be potentially fraught with discrimination, right. whether it's uh, emotional discrimination, personal life? employment, governmental, why would someone choose that? It just doesn't make sense. I mean, for me, that whole choice argument is is just is ridiculous, really, because why would someone choose a harder life for themselves? I mean, there's no real explanation for that. So it can't be a choice, right? Everyone who says that it's a choice is basing it on some other kind of dogmatic, religious, 
uh, ideology that yeah. that is just not is not able to be seen through as a as an actual coherent argument. Harrison with you. We are talking to Dr. Dodd He is the premier surgeon, plastic surgeon, double board certified. He is the go-to guy here in uh, Beverly Hills. Los Angeles. Los Angeles, California, second largest market uh, in the United States. And people go to him because when they want the sexual gender reassignment, the transgender surgery, and they want it to look not only good, but work but function to the best that nature will allow after this surgery, they go to you for that. Now, now that's tricky business, I would think. Well, let me clarify. When I do transgender surgery, yeah. I focus on above the waist, yeah. okay? So facial, um, chest, um, even body stuff. Below the waist, yeah, that's more in the field of urology, you know, and there's a lot of plumbing work that I, I don't uh, dabble in, so to speak. So I think for me, it's, you know, it's, it's trying to, you know, I'll give you an example. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, uh, F to M, female to male, comes to me for, for chest masculinization. Right. This is not breast reduction surgery, okay? You're not reducing the breasts. The difference between a man and a woman's chest is not just the size. There are right. a lot of things that makes a man's chest more masculine. I've always thought so. Yeah, and these things have to be understood by the surgeon. It's not a matter of just taking them off and just closing the incisions right. because you can see a lot of bad examples out there. I see them in my office when they're coming in for revision work. It needs to be done very thoughtfully, artistically, with a sense and knowledge of the anatomy that makes it different because this is something that you're changing the trajectory of these patients' lives, you know, getting them to finally look on the outside how they've always felt on the inside. We have a clip that we're going to take a look at right now. This is a patient named Nick from my hometown of Chicago, once upon a time. Um, have never met Nick. He's now 28 years old. He went in to see Dr. Uh, Dudvond and went in and tells his story very quickly in a minute and what he went through. My name is Nick and I'm 27 years old. I'm here at Dr. Davin's office today uh, because I'm getting a uh, breast removal surgery. Um, it's basically a transitioning step for me. Um, it took me a lot of time and research to find a doctor that would be suited for me. Um, I felt comfortable with Dr. Davin because he explained the procedure, he's had experience with this before, uh, he made me feel comfortable and like it's something that I can actually get through. I'm most excited about when the surgery is complete, uh, being able to walk around in public in a t-shirt, not having to wear all this hot, itchy, uncomfortable things underneath my clothes, not having to feel like I need to hide myself, uh, just basically feeling free. So we just finished with uh, Nick's surgery and everything went great. Uh, the first day of the rest of his life, and I'm glad to have played a small part in it. Harrison with you. This is, of course, Harrison on the Edge. We are talking right now to Dr. Babak Dodvand. He is considered the premier plastic surgeon, double board certified here in Los Angeles, the go-to guy for anybody who wants transgender surgery. And uh, we just saw a, a really a profound piece of video there where, and this is the best part, when we see with our own eyes before and after. Right. So it's not just anecdotal. Like, this person is now forever changed. Yes, and you know, Nick is um, someone who, when I first met him in my office in the initial consultation, even before deciding to, to, to do a docu uh, documentary on him, yeah. he was so shy, 
reserved in his shell. You can tell he was in uncomfortable in his own skin, was wearing a chest binder that was so tight it was affecting his breathing. Um, and all of this just to basically to hide what he felt should be there in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so I just saw him actually for his one year follow-up. Totally different man, you know, full of confidence. He's, uh, you know, proud of his chest. He has no inhibitions now as far as his physical appearance. He's so grateful. Like I said, to change the trajectory of someone's life. Yeah. I mean, transgenders have a 10 times higher suicide rate, you know, than the average population. And to really make an impact, I mean, that's why I went into plastic surgery. You know, it's 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 that kind of impact in, in someone's life. It's it's the most satisfying feeling that, that, that anyone can feel. And now Nick, uh, who was once a woman, and right. is now uh, corporeally and believably a man, this makes him now able to date. That's a big deal, because at the end of the day, that's all we mammals want. Right. Is we mammals, we couple. Right. And that's everything. Seagulls, giraffes. So this is good. You have to be comfortable with yourself and love yourself before you're able to be comfortable with someone else and love someone else. So let's talk for a second about what the surgery, just very briefly, so that we understand you have breast tissue. It in a way is like a mastectomy that women might go through if they have cancer or resection where it goes away. But you don't make it flat like a woman's breasts might be after they're removed. You actually put probably some sort of something in there. So believe it or not, there are no implants or anything used in these. For female to male top surgery, there are two real different options. Um, And it has to do with the size of your breasts and how much extra skin. Uh, guys who come in with small breasts, A cups, maybe small B, with good skin tone, yeah. you can actually do all the work through a little tiny incision underneath the areola, no bigger than a couple of inches, and just get out all, all that extra breast tissue. But yeah. the key is, it's not like a mastectomy in the traditional sense, because if you ever see a woman who's had a mastectomy for cancer, yeah. their chest actually, actually doesn't look masculine. It's sunken in. Yes. So you have to be able to, to not just take out everything. Anybody can do that. The finesse is about what to leave and where to leave it behind Uh and so the patients who come in with bigger breasts c cups d cups um, and low nipple positions or large areolas they need what's called a double incision uh, surgery which means that the nipple and areola are taken off at the beginning of the surgery let's just say what an areola is yeah so we know yeah but maybe you don't it is the brown spot around the nipple and some women have a very large areola maybe the size of a chocolate chip cookie right and that has to be shrunken down to look like a man's areola right so the average areola in a woman is about four to five centimeters or two to three inches or so in a man it's two and a half to three centimeters mm-hmm. so an inch so that's one thing so you have to resize that and then do do the surgery where you're taking off most of the tissue, but taking off more in certain areas to create the definition of the pec muscle, um, making sure that the incisions are symmetric and are curving in the right way so it, it's as camouflaged as possible. And then putting the nipples back on as a free graft, but not where a woman's nipples would be, which would be in the center of the chest, but a little bit more to the outside. And if any guy out there who's watching and listening, just feel where your nipples are, you'll see that they're not in the middle of your chest. They're a little bit more to the outside yes. and a little yes. bit lower than, than where a woman's nipples And probably not lactating. And shouldn't be lactating. Yes. If it is, you should see your doctor. <laughs> for sure. Immediately. <laughs> 
this is extraordinary. So you do waste up. Yes. Um, the people more involved in the uh, urological plumbing department, and boy, there's a lot of valves and vas deferens between this and that. And nerves. And nerves and all of that stuff. But uh, so do you do face as well? Yes. So, again, depends if it's, you know, female to male, so masculinization yeah. versus feminization. So the male to female, there are certain things about a man's face that doesn't look right when you're trying, you know, to, to feminize. So for mm-hmm. one, anything from the forehead, you know, men tend to have a more prominent forehead bone, more masculine nose might be a little bit wider or less mm-hmm. defined. Um, Everything to the Adam's apple, which is actually a piece of cartilage that sticks out more in a man and can be pretty obvious. Um, that can be shaved down through a very small incision. Uh, these things help a lot in, in, say, feminizing a face for male to female. Um, and then for, you know, the interesting thing is for, for female to males, the testosterone that they're on helps a lot in masculinizing mm, their face. Of course. So it deepens the voice, facial hair, those sorts of things are a little bit of a um, out for them as far as needing masculinization surgery for the face. It's more so for the male to females. Well, I'm so glad we had this discussion. Um, it's such a sort of a general myth for people who are not who haven't met a transgender person. We see them all the time. Yes. This is the other part: is we see transgender people all the time. We may not know because of your work. Right. Right. I won't tell. That's right. And, and that's the better part, too. That's right. There's, a, you know, the doctor-patient confidentiality. Absolutely. And in here, we had Nick prefer to be helpful to others. A documentary was made, and the idea was to help educate people and show how it works. So I appreciate that side of it, too. I appreciate you coming on. How do we follow you and your good work? Uh, well, first of all, it's a pleasure being on. Um, my website is www doctor, which is DR, and then dotvand, plasticsurgery.com. And my office number is 310-278-4200. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. So a lot of different ways nowadays to to find me. All right, my friend. I very much appreciate it, and thank you for doing your good work. Uh, Thank you very much. Harrison with you. We will see you again shortly. Everybody wants cheap airfare, but where do you find it? Well, you call low-cost airlines because they specialize in cheap flights, in discount hotel rooms, in cheap car rentals, and with the best price guarantee. They explore hundreds of airlines, thousands of routes, millions of itineraries and fares to keep it simple for you. So if you want the lowest prices on your airline tickets or other travel services, call now. 901-235-1795. 901-235-1795. That's the only way to get these rates. Experts are standing by 24-7 to get you the cheapest airfare and hotel rates available, often 75% off. So don't wait. Call now. 901-235-1795. Do you own an annuity, either fixed rate, indexed, or variable? Are you paying high fees and getting low returns? If so, Annuity General would like you to have this free book to learn the pitfalls and mistakes of buying an annuity. The Annuity Do's and Don'ts for Baby Boomers contains the little-known truths about annuities, like how to help reduce your fees and increase retirement income. And it's free. That's right, free. As a bonus, we'll also throw in a free annuity rate report just for calling. 
We researched over 1,000 annuities and summarized rates and benefits from financially strong insurers. You get annuity do's and don'ts for baby boomers and the annuity rate report, both absolutely free for calling Annuity General today. Hurry, supplies are limited. Call now. 